Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is October 23rd. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers' disappointing loss to the Denver Broncos. We are pushing a panic button on everybody. Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, the team itself. We'll get into it. We'll talk also about Golden Kegs uh, from the game, the best and worst, uh, from the Packers' loss to the Broncos. Then we'll talk about the Wisconsin Badgers, who had a much better weekend. Luke Fickle gets his signature win. What does that mean for the rest of the season for the Badgers? We'll recap the game and kind of look at the bigger picture. And then I'll also uh, talk about why Bucks fans need to relax about this team. And it's not going to be perfect day one. So we'll get into that and much more. Uh, if you are not following us along on social media, what are you doing? We're on Twitter, uh, tapping the keg or X, however you want to call it. Uh, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, and if you're already doing that, you've, you've checked that box. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast, whether it's on Apple, whether it's on Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast, tapping the keg sports. We find us there. And if you're new to the program, uh, we are doing it four days a week here, talking about all things Wisconsin sports, not just Packers, not just the Milwaukee Brewers, not just the Milwaukee Bucks. We talk about it all. We try to get everything in. What you need to know for the days, no commercials, no ads, the whole thing. I apologize for the sniffly voice. Uh, somehow caught a cold over the weekend, which isn't great. Uh, you know, but God gives his toughest fights to his toughest soldiers, so we will soldier on. And for those curious on the schedule this week, we will have shows today, tomorrow, as long as this cold doesn't kick my ass. And then we'll have off on Wednesday, as we have in the past. Thursday, it'll just be me. We're going to do the betting show on Thursday. And then on Friday, Mitch and I will do Tapping the Kag. We'll recap the Bucks and Sixers right after that game. We'll talk about that at the Open. We'll then get into the loaded weekend that I would say has lost a little bit of luster uh, considering where the Packers are, uh, but it's still a big, big weekend in the state of Wisconsin. So we'll, we'll do that for the week. And that is the week ahead. Let's get into it and talk about the Green Bay Packers and the panic button. The, the panic button's here. Uh, the panic button has arrived. I think it is a time-honored tradition in the NFL more than any other sports that a panic button exists. At some point, you press down on that panic button and you worry about your team. And as I said, it is here for the Green Bay Packers. Packers are now 2-4 and four on the season. Uh, they lose to the Denver Broncos 19-17 in one of the worst losses in Matt LaFleur's tenure. Uh, it's one of the worst losses, I think, for the Green Bay Packers in the last 10 years. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I mean, this Broncos team was DOA, and suddenly they've, they found something. The Packers were held to no points in the first half to a Broncos team that was giving up 33 a game. Uh, it, they couldn't really run the football, even though this Broncos team has been a complete sieve against everybody else. Didn't matter. And you have to worry. You have to wonder if this is a bad football team. I think it is. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's any if ands or buts about it. They're bad. Now, could they get good? Yeah, at some point. But I have to completely throw out my expectations. Like I, I'm like Jazz getting thrown out of uh, the, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air's house and just getting thrown out. Like that's my expectations right now. They are absolutely out of here. They're Ari Gold. Get the fuck out. Like that's what it is right now because. I thought this team would be pretty good. I thought that 
they would be kind of like the Jalen Hurts year one, right? Where they make they sneak into the playoffs, they, they lose first round, but there's a lot of building blocks. That's kind of that was the path that I saw Jordan Love and this team on, and it's just not even close. And there's just so much wrong with the team, right? Like there there isn't one thing where I, I look at it and I'm like, well, if you just fix this, it's gonna be better. Like if they couldn't stop the run, which they can't stop the run, but if, if the run defense was the only problem with this team, I would probably be much more accepting of that, all right, yeah, you just fix that and maybe it'll get better. Or when we face teams that can run the football, we're probably gonna lose. But when we face teams that can't run the football, we might have a, we might have a chance. And we're just kind of an average football team because we have this one fatal flaw. We have these two fatal flaws that it, it, the right matchup will be okay, but the wrong matchup we will not. Like that's that's the part of it that I, that really pisses me off is that it's everything. It's not just one thing is wrong. Matt LaFleur is an offensive mastermind and the Packers offense has been complete fucking shit. Matt LaFleur is turtling out there and doesn't necessarily have any confidence in his quarterback, in his offense, and it's dink and dunk Iowa bullshit. We look like Iowa football, but the NFL version. It is gross to watch. It is no fun. Like I, I can't remember a Packer season that has been this just uninspiring to start. And I know you're like, Charlie, it's a new team. It's it's just, it's gonna be different. Like I, I get it, right? But we grew up on good football. And I know that sounds maybe arrogant, maybe nar- not, not narcissistic, but definitely sounds arrogant, but it's true. We, we all grew up on good football. If you're my age, which I'm 35, where you had Favre and Rodgers, or if you're a little younger and you just had Aaron Rodgers, like you grew up on watching good football. You didn't see a lot of years of bad football. I blocked that 2005 year out of, out of my memory when the Packers were four and 12. That was the last time. They, they had, I think, four straight games of less than 20 points, and that team was 4-12, and 12, and that team was awful. And after that, it, it did turn around. They did rally. They have bounced back quickly in the past. But this is, it, it's just miserable. And I, I think that we knew that there would be growing pains. We knew that it was going to be hard, but I don't think any of us knew it was going to be this bad. I, I think that's the that's the thing. And I said on Friday, I was like, if they lose this game, like this is gonna be there's gonna be a lot of soul searching. And that's where I think we're at right now is trying to, you know, push that panic button and say, All right, where do we go from here? What do we what's our outlook here in the short term, the long term? Because it's not good. It's not good right now. And the Packers just do not seem to have any cohesion. There there just does not seem to be any unity with this team, right? You watch the Philadelphia Eagles, and I know like, right, they're a premier example because they're one of the best teams in football. You could argue they might be the best team in football, but maybe not, that might be a little bit of a hot take. But they, they are just these badass motherfuckers who just push people around to the trenches, who run the ball up and down your throats, who also kick your ass on defense, and they have a swagger about them because Jalen Hurts has a quiet swagger. A.J. Brown has a loud swagger. Darius Slay has kind of an in-between swagger. Jason Kelsey has a swagger to him, right? Uh, Lane Johnson has a swagger to him. Uh, everybody has this sort of fuck you edge. And the Packers have none of that. And I know, right, this is we're, we're, we probably are comparing... 
like we're compared to going on vacation to Hawaii versus like Door County. Okay, I understand that. I understand this is kind of the this like the top of the standard. But if you want to be the best, you you know you gotta act like the best, and you want to you should learn from that. They should figure out all right, what are what is Philadelphia doing that is you know is encouraging or you know that that shows promise. Let's take the Indianapolis Colts for example. They have been in most football games this season. They have dealt with an injury to their future quarterback Anthony Richardson, but they have an identity. They are never out of football games. Shane Steichen is an excellent offensive coach, and he is just giving it every goddamn game. And he, yeah, is he putting Gardner Minshew in potentially bad situations? Yeah. Do they not really have an offensive line right now? No. The right tackle for the Colts was one of the worst right tackles I've ever watched play football. I'm not kidding. Uh, Freeland is his last name. I don't know his first name, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. He doesn't. He doesn't deserve to for me to know his first name. He was that bad. Uh, and I know it's like, well, Miles Garrett's a, a Hall of Famer. I, look, I think I posted it on my Twitter. Uh, you could go back. You'd have to scroll. But he had one of the worst blocks I've ever seen from a right tackle in, in any football that I've watched. And as a former offensive lineman, that shit just pisses me off. And so, but but to not get, to get back to the point, like. The Colts are playing with an identity, right? You can see sort of the progression of that team. And, it, and if a couple of things break their way, the Colts are, you know, the Colts have a couple more wins, right? If they, they complete the comeback against the Rams, if they you know, are able to stop the, the Cleveland Browns, they kind of got, feel think they got screwed by the referees in that game. So like there, were, there have been multiple opportunities for the Colts to be special, but you can, as a Colts fan, if you're, I'm sure the ones that are doing podcasts, because God knows everybody has podcasts, they're talking about, well, like you can see the foundation, you can see what's being built here and know that like next year is going to be special. And the year after that is going to be special and making sure that Anthony Richardson stays healthy, that this team has a, a real progression. They have a real climb that matters. The Packers don't have any of that. And that's, I think, what we were expecting as a fan base. And I know I'm talking for all of you, but I think you can agree that the panic is not necessarily just, oh, we're bad. I think the panic is more about the identity and that it's lacking and it's missing. And there's none of that fuck you edge. There's not even an edge of, we're just gonna let it all hang. We're gonna put our dick on the table. We're gonna see what happens. What something like the Colts are doing. None of that exists for the Green Bay Packers. They're playing scared and they're playing like a team who's lost their, their lead dog, who's Aaron Rodgers. Is that Jordan Love's fault? Probably not, but you gotta figure it out at this point excuses are over figure out who you are and if you can't figure it out with the guys you have on this roster get them the fuck out of here figure it out trade them you have the trade deadline in nine days take care of business and get that done get get the poison out and keep the guys who matter if Green Bay can find an identity and figure out all right this is who we are this is Packer football maybe they have a shot to turn this all around but I'm highly doubtful that that is going to happen this season. So when we talk about the panic button, it is not just the macro panic button. There are also micro panic button things with Jordan Love, with Matt LaFleur, and the team, some intricate team things as well. So I want to talk through those uh, before we move on to Golden Kegs. 
Jordan Love, I just, oh man, it's so weird, right? Because first three games, it was kind of all good, right? And we embraced Jordan Love and we saw the promise in there and he looked confident. There was a swagger to him, kind of that fuck you edge we talked about. Like it felt like Jordan Love had that. And then that Detroit game completely rattled his cage. And I don't think it just rattled his cage. I think it rattled his coach's cage as well. And since that game, they haven't got off the mat. And that is concerning. You know, not getting off the mat in the, in the game against Detroit, that happens, right? But not getting off the mat against a bad Raiders team that Tyson fucking Badgett tore up today is concerning. The fact that you, again, face a Broncos team that Justin Fields, to keep using Bears quarterbacks as the proxy, also tore up, is concerning. And is it all Jordan Love's fault? No. Some of it falls on his coach. And you look at Jordan Love's stats, and you could say if you didn't watch the game and you're just reading box scores like your Billy Mike, it's 21, 21 for 31, 180 yards, and I think he had two touchdowns and an interception. You'd probably take that. You're probably like, oh, that's, that's a pretty broad day, but then you see the average is five yards. And you see that he can't throw the ball down the field. He is not completing any deep passes to save his soul. And he's struggling with a full deck. He had Aaron Jones say, granted Aaron Jones only had 11 touches, a little bit on a pitch count. Had all his receivers. And he still struggled to push the ball downfield. And, you know, there's no deep slants. There's no post routes. There's no corner routes. It's all just in to the sticks and that's it. Now, is Matt LaFleur running a bad system for Jordan Love or is Jordan Love just scared to make that big play and make a mistake? Real questions need to be asked about Jordan Love right now. And I know people are going to be like, well, Charlie, it's six games. We shouldn't judge a guy on six games. That's kind of not how the NFL works right now, okay? You're in a week-to-week business. You're in a situation where Jordan Love has a two-year deal and you can let the extension ride. You could say, all right, we're not gonna pay you next year. You're gonna play out the money, similar to what we saw with Daniel Jones last year, and we are not going to give you a deal or we'll give you an incentive-related deal that we can get out of. But Jordan Love has done nothing to show you that he deserves a full contract, a huge contract. And the fact that when you have a a guy on a rookie deal who's a first round pick, you get him for five years. And even if you get a guy, you know, in the four year, if you get him the second round, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit later, like that, that's there, that's on the table. So you have, and it's a quarterback related draft. It's a massive quarterback draft. So that's where it all shifts. And there is more pressure on Jordan Love. And yes, because he has been in this system for three plus years, it should not be this much of a struggle. That's the problem. That's the issue here. It's not that Jordan Love is is bad in his first six games and he's a rookie or he's a second year guy. Like, look, I, I don't think Bryce Young has looked better than Jordan Love. I think that Desmond Ritter has had moments that, I mean, Desmond Ritter is a, a disaster, but look, he's got his team to the doorstep, you know, the last two games. 
Desmond Ritter's done more. I what they're four and two officially. They've had some real bad games. Or four, maybe maybe four and three. But still, like I think Desmond Ritter's doing a little bit better than Jordan Love. The only quarterback that you could really say is worse than Love is maybe Bryce Young. That's it, right? Like maybe Minshew too, but Minshew's slinging it. I mean, he put up thirty-eight points today. Like you can't you can't deny that Minshew had a good game, and like so I don't know. I'd have to really think about it, but it's bad right now. Maybe a little better, Josh Dobbs. But it's just a Jordan Love has to figure this out soon, sooner rather than later. I'm not advocating for Sean Clifford. I'm not going to do that. I'm not trying to to really start something here. But I, I do think that Jordan Love has to show a glimmer of hope. There needs to be some moments where Jordan Love looks like the man. Packers could lose every game out, right? But if Jordan Love looks the part, then you're drafting Marvin Harrison. You're not drafting. You're not drafting one of the quarterbacks. You're taking Mar- Maserati Marv because you believe that what Jordan Love possesses is a top tier quarterback, even if the Packers are losing games every every week. But there is that right now. Jordan Love looks average at best, if not below average. And yeah, the clock's ticking and. That's not fair to Jordan Love, but I'm sorry. That's how the NFL works. It's it's not. This isn't daycare. This isn't you know everybody gets a shot and oh Jordan Love deserves you know two two years to analyze. No, we don't have that time. We gotta go, especially in the draft that we have. So gotta see something more from Jordan Love. Matt Lafleur, look man, just there needs to be more with this offense. This sleepy start bullshit can't keep happening to this football team. It, it doesn't make any sense. They're playing very scared. They don't want to make any mistakes. And I wonder if that is the influence of having Aaron Rodgers for the first few years of LaFleur's tenure. Because LaFleur knew that A, if Rodgers checked out of something or if Rodgers was running what he had called, that Rodgers wasn't going to make a mistake. That Rodgers were going to do the right read, hit the guy that he needed to, first down, keep it moving, the whole thing. But with Jordan Love, he can't. He there, there's inherently more risk, and so Matt Lafleur is getting in his head and calling, you know, calling things scared. They look like a scared football team, and that just that's so bad for Matt Lafleur because he has the offensive chops. He is a good play caller. We've seen good Matt LaFleur play calling before. And Matt LaFleur needs to find that again. He needs to find where that exists. And I don't know if that's that can just be found overnight. I think it, it's going to come with time. I think the nice thing about Minnesota is you know they're going to blitz all the fucking time. So, okay, they're going to blitz. They're going to send a lot of pressure. How do you beat the pressure? What do you do? How do you help him protect? Do you roll the pocket? Do you tell Jordan to use his feet more? Like, those are all questions you need to be asking. And if Matt LaFleur is thinking about too much and can't just be a play caller, then he needs to hand it off to somebody. He needs to get somebody else in there to sort of work with him. But I don't think LaFleur will let his ego have that happen. The pressure on Matt's growing for sure is not something that is just going to go away. I'm not advocating to fire Matt LaFleur. 
But I do think that the leash is getting shorter and shorter. With the decision to keep Joe Barry, which has not really worked out. I know you can be like, well, Packers allowed 19 rounds. Well, the Broncos were running for over seven yards of carry at one point in this game. They ended up like 5.8. But like, it's so, it's, don't, and Cortland Sutton just ate uh, Carrington Valentine's lunch, the whole thing. Like, Joe Barry, even though they only had 19 points, like they still had multiple scoring opportunities. Like Denver could have easily ran it up on the Packers and, this would have been close had if they had made you know actual touchdowns versus field goals. But yeah, it's Malfer definitely is going to be feeling it. And if this is a bad year for the Packers, he doesn't get sort of the you know oh it's a new coach like they give him time. It's this it's the same conversation with Love. It's like all right, you have a prove it year next year, or the Packers are moving on. And to be sort of in the middle is always scary in the NFL. And that's kind of my worry with the Packers right now and LaFleur is like, they're just a middling team, bad to middling team. They need to elevate for that. And we'll see, we'll see if LaFleur can figure it out. As for the team itself, before we move on to Golden Kegs, Packers aren't actually out of it. Like if we want to go Mr. Brightside here. Packers are two and four. It's a long season. It with the seven playoff teams got teams just squeeze in, right? Packers still have a chance to be okay. They have the next two games at home. I think they, I didn't look at the line if they're favored against the Vikings. I think they probably should be, uh, maybe like one and a half or two. And then they'll probably be dogs against the Rams. Rams are, Rams are good, but it'll be cold. It's going to get cold and the Rams hate playing in the cold. They've, they asked to not play the Packers in the cold, if you may remember. So Packers get it back to four and four when they had the Pittsburgh. You're you're sitting okay, right? Like you're actually in a decent spot. And the fact that the Giants, Peter Schrager pointed this out, the Giants who won today are two and five, and they're one and a half games back from the last playoff spot in the NFC, tells you everything they know about how bad the, the, the lower half of the NFC is. So I, I think that there is still that opportunity, but let's ask a question. Do we really want the Packers to get hot? Do we really want them to be a good football team? It's a quarterback-laden draft, and the Packers would, as I said earlier, and the Packers have an ability not to either draft quarterback in the first round or get one right away in the second round or use that second, second-round pick to move up to get a J.J. McCarthy. Uh, or a Bo Nix, or a Quinn Ewers, or a Jaden Daniels, or Riley Leonard, which are all second-round guys that I saw per the mock draft that I read. Now, do I think some of those guys are going to be first-round picks? Absolutely, because no one, people are going to want those five years. So it'll be very curious to see what Green Bay does, and that was the similar thing with Brian Brown. They drafted a quarterback in the second round to put pressure on Aaron Rodgers, and it worked, and Brian Brown was never heard from again. The famous Merrill Hodge clip about that Brian Brown was going to take over for Aaron Rodgers. That never happened. But it's not to say that next year that couldn't happen with Jordan Love. And I think it's 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 almost a guarantee at this point. I, I'd i be shocked if Packers don't draft a quarterback in the first two rounds next, next year. I th- think they will address, you know, whether it's offensive tackle, uh, whether it's you know, a position like, you know, you could get Brock Bowers. You want to just completely blow out the tight end position. You could get Brock Bowers and, and really make it something. But yeah, I I think that Green Bay is going to get a quarterback without question. And then the last thing with the team is, I wonder about the pitch count. Are they pitch counting veterans because of trade opportunities? 
is Aaron Jones on a pitch count because they don't want a lot of wear and tear on Aaron Jones because they want to trade him when the trade deadline is eight, eight days away. And is that why Jair Alexander didn't play in this game either? Those are questions that I, I, I want to dig into more. I think that's something we, I want to talk about later this week. But yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. So yeah, I would say if I had to rate the panic buttons, it's probably love Den LaFleur. I, I don't know, actually. Now I think about it. I was telling somebody the other day at the bar, I was like, I, I argue with myself a little bit too much on the pod, but I think when you do solos, that just kind of happens. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say love, but only because of the window, right? And the draft class and the whole thing we all talked about. So yeah, it, it's it's scary times here in Green Bay, and uh, we'll see where the Packers come out on it. All right, let's do Golden Kegs before we move on to the Wisconsin Badgers and hopefully the Mogs Bucks. Hopefully that time. Uh, Golden Kegs, for those who are unfamiliar, the best and worst things that happen in the Packer game. Uh, five being the best, five kegs, and one keg being the worst. Sometimes they are not even related to the game itself. Uh, five kegs having, the ga- having a game on Sunday. Yeah, we're scraping the bottom of the keg. We're having like Keystone as our five keg. Because there really wasn't anybody who was like, wow, this guy completely showed out. Like that was just an absolutely awesome game from Player X. Uh, I just love the fact we had a game on Sunday. Uh, it has been over a month since Packers have played on Sunday. And and that just, it was enjoyable to, you know, 325 sit down and watch Packers play the Broncos. Um, Kevin Harlan on the call was great. I do have some beef with Kevin Harlan, though, too, but he has a great voice. Him and Trent Green, great combination. Melanie Collins, not bad to look at. Um, you know, it, it was perfect. So it was, it was very nice and a beautiful day here in the state of Wisconsin. Got, got to get a lot of shit done. But, you know, some of you might have had beverages. I didn't because of the, the whole nasal thing I got going on here. But, yeah, it's uh, I, I love having games on Sunday, uh, you know, and – We'll get to the noon, noon starts now for the next three weeks, four weeks, uh, coming up here uh, next Sunday uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. Four kegs. I, I have A.J. Dillon. I actually had A.J. Dillon had a good game. Uh, I We've been hard on A.J. Dillon, you know, at the early part of this year, and Dillon's kind of doing what he, he's done for his entire career, where he's getting better as the year's going on. Uh, Dillon rushed for, what is that, 50, 61 yards. On 15 carries, 4.4, uh, 4.1 yards per carry. Also had two catches for 34 yards. Uh, so a pretty solid day for AJ Dillon. 90, was that 95? No, yeah, 95 all-purpose yards for him. So good, good stuff from Dillon. Uh, you know, he continues to sort of bounce back from that rough start where I think we were all hard on him, including myself. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, that's another guy who could potentially make himself into a trade piece. Uh, he's has a half a year left on his deal. I think a lot of teams could see a need, a need for a bruising running back. I don't know if you could get anything better than a fifth round pick for that. But still, it, it might be, you know, something the Packers potentially explore. Uh, even though he is a great guy and has done a lot of good things for the community. But I do like that, you know, he's he's looking a little more of the part and especially if Jones is on the trade block to, you know, on the other side of that, the inverse of it, and Dylan's going to need, there's going to be more needed from him if he can kind of get back to this level 
we'll we'll take it. I mean, the the Packers, the offensive line cannot run block to save their souls. So the fact that Dylan was able to get sixty one yards and and four point one on the carries, pretty damn good. So we'll we'll take that for sure. So good stuff from AJ Dylan. Three guys to Quay Walker. Uh, Quay Walker continues to you know have some moments, some flashes. Right, he got through the line of scrimmage on a couple plays, um, and you know he, he's. He's having a pretty solid year to start. He had a bad missed tackle on Samaje Pirine. But I think what we've seen from Quay Walker overall this year has been pretty good. I think if there's one guy that's, I wouldn't necessarily even call him an MVP, right? He had the bad, you know, jump over against the Detroit Lions. But in terms of a most improved, I think Quay Walker is that guy. Uh, he's the leading tackler on this Packers team. And it, it was kind of, he's fulfilling what I, I think the Packers hoped when they drafted him. And yeah, there are moments where it's a little boneheady, but usually it's okay for him. So I think, you know, Quay Walker you know, continues to play well. It's good to see that the injury he suffered against the the Raiders, you know, didn't really affect him as, you know, there were so many injuries that happened in this game, which we can talk about a little bit later here. But yeah, solid stuff from Quay Walker. Uh, the only guy really that had a ton of defensive metrics out there in terms of stats. Like the Packers had only three TFLs. They did not have a pass deflection the entire game. They only hit Russell Wilson three times and they had one sack, which was Preston Smith. So pretty sort of mediocre day from this Packer defense. Like they they did not do a ton. They, they were not game wreckers uh, to say the least. Uh, so yeah, that's... That's sort of where where Green Bay defense sits. Two kegs. We'll we'll get a little more uh, aggressive, shall we say, in terms of our uh, in terms of our keg ratings here uh, as we head to the two and the one keg, as we usually do when there are losses. I've Jordan Love at two kegs. I couldn't go to three. I think his stats are more like a three keg performance for Jordan Love, but just the dink and dunk shit as we talked about earlier is just not going to get done. Uh, he needs to let it rip. He needs to absolutely let it fly. And he's just not doing that right now. And it's not productive football. And it seems like he doesn't exactly know what to do right now. And that's scary. That's absolutely terrifying. Because it's like, oh, am I supposed to just be thinking, Doug? Oh, wait, I can take a shot downfield. I'll take a shot downfield. Oh, that's open. It's like he gets so excited to take the shot downfield that sometimes he misses like the easy routes. Like there was, I think that on the Dobbs uh, touch or uh, misplay, it was like the fade and then it ended up, I think the Packers got a field goal on that or that might've been Carlson's miss. I can't remember, but you guys know what play I'm talking about where he misses Dobbs, Dobbs on the fade in the corner of the end zone. He had Aaron Jones set up for a screen with nobody around. Like all he had to do is dump it off to Aaron Jones with a touchdown and, and he missed that. And so he's not taking the easy ones. It's almost like he gets so excited because it's not happening enough, where there's not enough opportunities for the deep ball. So he's like, I need to fucking throw it deep when I get the shot to show coach like, hey, I can do this. It's like a kid who doesn't see boobs very often, right? And is like, oh my God, boobs, oh shit. Especially when they're younger. It's like, oh my God, I get to see boobs. Oh, that's so cool. And then like you act weird around around boobs or like when you're you know hooking up with a check instead of just like keeping your composure. Jordan loves not keeping his composure at all. And that's where I give the two keg. The interception at the end of the game was so fucking bad. It's like, 
All of Eddie, and on top of that, misses Christian Watson before that. Like, that was a pass he had to make. And it's, yeah, it's been really rough for Jordan Love here in the last few games. And again, as we said a few times now, hopefully he can right the ship, but it's, it's not looking good. Aaron Jones on the pitch count. Look, I don't know what we are doing here. Like, how much do we need to see where we're like, all right, yeah, Aaron Jones is good. The only thing that would make sense is if you're trading Aaron Jones. If you're trading Aaron Jones and that's the plan and that's why you're keeping him on pitch count, I understand. But that's really a tough pill to swallow when you don't know, right? And Aaron Jones, you know, yeah, looked fine, had some explosives. But the fact that Aaron Jones carried the ball only eight times against one of the worst run defenses in football makes no, no fucking sense. But I guess the other, to kind of add to that, this is what happens when you have all these sleepy starts. When you have the sleepy starts and you get down, you put yourself in a hole early, you can't run the football. And that's been part of the problem for Green Bay. It's also, they have a, a very bad offensive line when it comes to running the football. And as much as this is gonna sound crazy, come for me as a Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry advocate, I think Adam Senevich is the guy to go. I think you gotta fire Adam Senevich. Like, he, or Luke, ba- like Luke, ba- I know he just lost his dad, so that, you know, it's kind of crazy. Is, is his grandpa? No, yeah, his grandpa, sorry. Uh, but still, like, I don't know, man. Like, you gotta, that might be the move, is Senevich has to go. Because ever since he's taken over for offensive coordinator, it just has not been the same in that Packer offensive line. And I made a comment about that last year. You you'd probably have to dig for it. But I kind of noticed like, oh, Stenovich, Stenovich is not necessarily as focused on the offensive line. It's like he has too much responsibility. And yeah, I, I think they might need to make a move there or demote him and just have him coach the offensive line and elevate somebody else to be the quote unquote offensive coordinator because it's not working with Stenovich. Uh, and in that same, same vein, Rasheed Walker, I haven't been two instead of a one only because uh, I feel like in the second half, he kind of got, he kind of picked it up. It looked a little bit better, but the first half was terrible for Sheed Walker. uh, And he's continued to struggle and it's not getting any easier with Daniel Hunter next week. Like it, it it has to, it has to figure it out at some point. Packers are going to have to, you know, rethink their offensive line. I think everyone's been clamoring for it. At some point, you gotta you gotta do something different, and you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. Like there has to be some some sort of change this coming week, right? Whether it's all right, we're rolling out this, we're you know we're giving uh, Don Terry Wicks a little more playing time, we're giving Josiah Daguerre. I'm just using examples, right? We're just doing some different shit. We're trying a new offensive line. I, I just it's not to say I don't think Rasheed Walker could be good in the future. I just don't know if he's good right now and it's really impacting you know what the Packers are doing in terms of an offensive line one keg goes Carrington Valentine is the first one keg I mean look Carrington Valentine man I I loved him in the preseason it's great example why you can't get too excited about the preseason he got absolutely torched when he was on an island uh Corlin Sutton had a field day best Corlin Sutton game I think in a long time Uh, and yeah Valentine got abused out there and you just wonder, you know, how do the Packers figure that out? Because you need, if you have Jair in this game, I, I actually think the Packers probably win. Like, I, I think Jair is worth that two points. 
and Valentine just was completely lost out there. And it was a really, really rough outing uh, from the rookie from Kentucky. Continuing on with one keg, uh, the injuries, man, wow. Uh, you have Eric Stokes, you have Musgrave get another concussion, hopefully not, but he was in protocol. Uh, you had, who else got hurt? Uh, Josh Myers got banged up. He came back into the game. Uh, uh, Devontae Wyatt went out on a cart. Uh, Savage hurt his calf again. The Wyatt and Savage ones are the ones where I really raise a question with the athletic training staff, right? They keep Jair out with a back injury, but they let Wyatt and Savage go, even though they both had, you know, pretty significant injuries. And Wyatt, you know, was battling this knee and they talked about it on the broadcast and then he fucking hurts it. And, and it's like, how do you not play it safe with a first-round first guy? And I, I appreciate, you know, people wanting to gut it out, but you got to sometimes overrule that. And I, I don't really get it. So, yeah, Packers are, they, they just can't stay healthy. And at some point, you got to wonder, what are they doing to, to you know, help this? And it's just like, it's all soft tissue stuff. Like, they're breaking bones. If they break a fibula or they break an arm, nothing you can do about that. But... When it's hamstrings, calves, knees, like we gotta be better. And maybe we just have guys made of glass. And maybe, you know, that's something that they have to look at when they're drafting guys is, you know, what's their injury history like? And making sure that they are guys who have a clean bill of health because it's just, it happens way too fucking often. And Christian Watson, another one that, you know, you, you saw that, you know, he gets hurt at the very end of the game. I'm not even sure what, what happened. I think it was a knee problem. But it's like, man, like, this is not good. And like, you, this is how you just are a bad football team because you're never with a full deck. And, you know, some teams figure it out with all the injuries. Like, look at the Ravens. But they're, they're you know, they've done it for so long. And they're so experienced that it's, it's kind of old hat at this point. Other one kegs to keep running through this at before, so we can get on to other things. Uh, one keg to uh, Kevin Harlan's antidotes. Uh, Kevin Harlan jinxed the shit out of Anders Carlson. It's like, oh, I haven't seen a miss. I haven't seen a miss. He misses a 43-yarder, pretty easy field goal. Uh, it's like no wind, the whole thing. Like it was such a fucking jinx. And then Kevin Harlan also brought up the fail Mary with the Romeo Dobbs contested catch. Uh, just don't need fail Mary energy around us, Kevin Harlan. I know he was there for that because he does the Monday night radio broadcast. But we we did not need any reference to the fail Mary. Uh, Andrews Carlson's miss, by the way, another one keg. Uh, man, he makes that field goal. Packers win the game, right? And I know it's very simplified to that, but yeah, that's that's it. That's that would have been the point that Green Bay would need. Uh, Denver would not have had to take the field goal. They would have had to probably go for the touchdown. And yeah, it's a totally different game if the Packers are up twenty to sixteen at that point versus uh, what was it? Seven, yeah, seventeen to sixteen. So rough stuff, man. And that when you're playing in the margins, like all those things matter. And the last is Kareem Jackson. What a fucking piece of shit that guy is. Like he's gotten fined four times this year already. He gets thrown out again for a cheap hit. Like, yes, he gets suspended. Like, you got to saucy Kareem Jackson. Like, there's no way that Kareem Jackson can continue to play with doing this shit. It's unbelievable. Uh, I'm not usually uh, on this side of the table, but man, oh man, is that is that bad? That's just a bad look. 
Uh, so that's Golden Kegs. Uh, not a great one, uh, but there was a, there was a tough talk about because this is a bored fucking team. I'm sorry. Like, what do you want to do for me? I wish I wish it was more excited. I wish I had more things to be excited about, but I, I just don't. So uh, it's it's a bummer. So uh, even like. If you're Indianapolis, we were in Indianapolis today, as I've mentioned them a couple times, like with 30 points. Like, there was we had a lot to talk about, but no, it's, it was 17, and we just plod down the field like we're goddamn Iowa. So, there you have it. All right, let's move on to speaking of Big Ten, let's move on to the Wisconsin Badgers. And we had a much better weekend than the Green Bay Packers. The Wisconsin Badgers looked like kind of like the Packers early in their game. Uh, first. Two and a half quarters really looked bad for them. They're down 21 to 7. It seemed like a tailspin was imminent where we just asked a lot of questions about, you know, Luke Fickle not necessarily being overrated, but needing more time. The just rush to expect Wisconsin to be TCU this year was probably a little bit of an overreaction. Still is an overreaction. But like it the whole like narrative about everything with Fickle would have changed. Phil Longo, does, does he deserve to be here? Do the, the Badgers need to go back to something, you know, similar to what Fickle ran at Cincinnati? Uh, but it all, everybody, you know, kind of held their water. They kept playing their game. Nobody really looked panic. I felt like that was different than last week against Iowa or the Washington State game. And the Badgers, you know, just kept chipping away. They kept kind of chopping at the wood. And they got a field goal from Varcos to make it 21-10. They get a touchdown. Then they get another. They get the two-point conversion. And then they get the, the tackle-eligible touchdown to win the game outright uh, at, with like 20, was it 25 seconds left. The tackle-eligible play was absolutely unreal. A great play call by Longo uh, to get everybody flowing to the right. And then the tackle leaks out to the left. And it's big old Hayden Rucci, who's a five-star recruit, catching a touchdown for the Wisconsin Badgers uh, as a big number 93. I think he's an offensive lineman. So that's even funnier that he's rocking a 93 eligible number. But yeah, I mean, it is a great win for Wisconsin. And this is the type of thing that can kind of change your season and give you the momentum to take into the rest of the way. And it's exactly the type of win you need before facing Ohio State, which is your toughest football game of the season. And Ohio State coming off a big win against Penn State. You know, Badger, a lot of Badgers there remember what Ohio State did to them the year before. I will imagine that that is pounded into the newer guys and say, hey, look, we have a chance to, you know, this is kind of the Super Bowl. This is their Super Bowl. They can upset the apple cart. They can be the spoiler and also, you know, put themselves directly in the driver's seat of the Big Ten race. And that's that's all right there for Wisconsin. And it, had they lost Illinois, none of that would be there. They would it would be a funeral. Everybody would be just like we're, we're we care about partying for Halloween and we're not even gonna go to the game. But now you're gonna have an absolute powder keg of a stadium there it's going to be like 40 degrees like wisconsin football weather out there and it's going to be a hard-hitting physical affair and i just i really think that this this was the thing that the badgers needed to kind of light the fuse i'm sure they wished it would have happened two or three weeks ago i'm sure they wished it would have happened against iowa but sometimes you just can't control that in a season 
and you at some point come to life. And now is it coincidental that it happened with Braden Locke and not Taron Morikai? Maybe. I mean, Braden Locke's numbers don't look great. Like he had 240. He missed. It was 21 of 41, I believe. And I think he threw for two touchdowns. But he still looked the part. Like he never looked scared. Like Tanner Mordecai was always looking to bail. Like he was always looking to run. He double tapped the ball too, which was a weird thing, a weird quirk. And he just did never looked comfortable. He didn't look like he trusted the Badger offensive line. Locke stood in there. Locke took some hits. Uh, the Newton hit, which completely changed the game. Uh, Jerzon Newton, who's a top, it's probably going to be a top 20 pick in the NFL next year. Uh, gets kicked out of the game for targeting. It was bullshit. I, I, look, I, I don't think that that was targeting in terms of like how football is played, but by the letter of the law, it is targeting. I mean, Devin Gardner, who I, that broadcast career, I, I don't understand why people like Aaron Collins. Uh, more power to you. It's just not for me. Like I, 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 I listened to Gus Johnson say Maserati Marv 40 fucking times. And, you know, for three hours and then I listen to that guy, it's, it's like a terrible one-two punch. It, it, you just can't have it. And so anyways, uh, but he, Devin Gardner, his uh, color analyst was like, yeah, it's targeting. And he knew it was targeting right away, he called it out. And it's like, yeah, that's just part of the game. And yeah, it changed the game. It, it opened up more holes for Braylon Allen. It was, there was less pressure on Locke. But yeah, and Braden Locke, again, kept his cool. And I don't know if Mordecai would have. I feel like Mordecai would have thrown an interception, would have done something dumb. And the, this sort of now looks a little more like the Badger team that I think we expected at the start of the year. And that's exciting. And yeah, it could all go to shit and they lose, you know, 27 to three to Ohio State next week. And it all kind of is for not, but I think there the building blocks are starting to starting to come together. It's starting to shape up. You're starting to see, you know, the Badger wide receivers come to life, right? Will Pauling, it's kind of taken over that wide receiver one role, right? Seven catches for 95 yards and a touchdown in the game. Uh, you saw CJ Williams, you know, find you know a couple of catches. Uh, Skylar Bell had it at a few. He had a great catch. That set up the touch, the Rucci touch, go ahead touchdown like an unreal catch, a great ball from Locke right on the sidelines, and you know really good stuff. But yeah, the last so the last three games for Will Paul in here, he's had twenty three receptions and over sixty yards in all of those games, averaging at least seven and a half yards per. Like he's really sort of come to life here. Uh, the sophomore from Chicago, you know, he's undersized, but you know, he he's always open. It seems like he always finds a way to be open, and the, the Badgers are taking full advantage of it. And that's a again another sort of step forward. And their defense, you know, they have some dudes. You know, John Meta being back, you know, he had an awesome stat line: twelve total tackles, a sack, a tack for tackle for loss. Uh, Hunter Waller continues to just be a tackling machine. I think any Badger Packer fan watching Hunter Waller, you know, on Saturdays and hoping that that existed for the Packers, like they, they have not had a hard-hitting safety like that in years. Not to say like Hunter Waller should be the Packer safety, but you, you get you get the idea. And also too, uh, you know, Braylon Allen finally got taken out of the garage. We've, we've been talking about that a little bit 
on the pod, you know, we recap the Badgers about like, all right, like at some point they're going to say, all right, we're going to cut it loose with Brandon Allen. They did today. Uh, you know, 29 carries for 141 yards. He also had two catches for, I believe it was, what was that, six, uh, 16 yards. So like oh, 160 total yards, like against a very tough Illinois defense. Like that to me is another big sign for Wisconsin going forward. So the Iowa game might have been a wake-up call. The the two and a half quarters against Illinois, you know, they kind of finally shook it off and delivered. Another team that has struggled to get get off the mat quick. And I think against Ohio State, they're going to need to. But I, I would imagine that they're going to be extremely juiced for that game. And it's definitely their Super Bowl. And can they can they deliver? Can they come through? Uh, I think Braden Locks, you know, he seems ready for the moment. I'm excited. Uh, Luke, I guess the only bad thing they did was Luke Altmeyer was just running up and down the, the field against them. But that's that that really shouldn't be a problem against Kyle McCord. So I mean they they, they won't have to worry too much about him getting loose. Uh, obviously it's the Marvin Harrison thing. And how how do you defend against that? And but I don't know if anybody can defend against Marvin Harrison. Like where, do you put a do you put a future down on Marvin Harrison to win the Heisman? I mean, none of these quarterbacks. I mean, Penix was fucking terrible in the game against uh, game against Arizona State. JJ McCarthy, I guess, but like, what what has JJ McCarthy really done that's all that great so far this year? He's just kind of a competent quarterback, and he's just doing enough. He's playing in a hardball system, which we've seen countless quarterbacks in the past. You know, kind of operate that hardball. That hard. Well, it's not hardball as led, but like this sort of conservative-ish style offense that that makes it work. Complimentary football that Harbaugh, you know, kind of preaches. And then you see, you know, on both sides of that football. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, the Heisman race is certainly interesting. Far, long way to go. But, yeah, very good test for Ricardo Holloman and the Badger secondary when they face Ohio State next week. We'll, we'll have to see. But this is a big one for Luke Fickle. And I, I think that, you know, those who believe are believing more the non-believers, I think, will this is a little bit of a wake-up call for them to be like, all right, we, you know, they, they that I think it's their first, you know, fourteen-point comeback since Purdue twenty eighteen, I believe it was, which I think I was with Doze that night. Uh, my guy Doze, like I think we were, and no, maybe I don't know, I'd have to look back, but yeah, that, it, I mean, that's just a, it's a huge accomplishment for them, and now they take that momentum into their biggest game of the year. And that's all you can ask for. So see how they do. We'll talk more about it as the week goes on. All right, I'll wrap up with the Milwaukee Bucks. I was like, ah, I could save this for tomorrow, but I, I just want to I want to get something across. So Milwaukee Bucks have played with most of their guys, minus Bobby Portis against Memphis on Friday. There were some really fun moments. It looked like, you know, they, you know, were kind of, this offense seemed to come to life at certain points where they just looked unstoppable. There were other parts where it looked a little clunky. Yet Giannis still taking up the basketball, not necessarily hitting Dame for a couple open shots, and he's shooting. And there was some panic among Bucks fans. And I guess I just don't understand the fan. And I'm not trying to fan gatekeep here, but I don't understand the fan that just is like, oh, these guys are these guys are telepathically gonna figure it out. Like it's two weeks, they're gonna figure it out. Like, we're not gonna give them any fucking leeway whatsoever. I, that's just a miserable way to fan for me. 
Like I just can't get my I can't get my arms around like understanding that this is gonna take time. This is not going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns is one of my favorite. I use that line way too often, but so inquire, let me know, Tabby the Kai on Twitter of a different way I can talk about like great, like beer and tits, I guess like that's a little more, that's pretty misogynistic, but like seriously, like it's not going to be perfect for a while. It's going to take time. There's going to be nights where they look like a fucking juggernaut early on. There's going to be nights where it's completely clunky. And Giannis is still in old habits. Like, they're like, oh, he's taking up and shooting threes. It's like, yeah, look, man. Like, he's done that for the last three or four years when it's had to be Giannis and the Commodores, right? Where he's basically the star of the show and they're relying on Antetokounmpo's offense. You're gonna, it's going to take time to get out of those habits. If Giannis is doing that in January, yeah, we're having the same panic mode conversation that we had about the Packers. But it's not January. It's the start of the year. It's it's October. Like, just take a collective chill pill and relax a little bit because this is not worth getting upset over. You have to understand this is going to take time to meld. And now they'll also lost Terry Stotts. You're gonna. It, the offense will look a little different. I would assume that Patrick Mertumbo is gonna get that job, and that Patrick Mertumbo is gonna be the offensive guy. And I, I hope that that's the case. It seemed like him and Joe Prunty were running the scrimmage yesterday, so I don't know if that was a tell that those guys are kind of co-opting the offense. But I, and I think that's perfectly fine. That if that's who, who it is, it, again, it's still going to take time. They're gonna have to learn how to play off of each other. And when I say them, I mean Giannis, I mean Dame, I mean Chris. And it's just, it's not going to be solved night one. And and I think that this sometimes is the NFLization of sports where we just immediately expect that it to, it to all work every week. And that's a week-to-week league, just like the NFL. And it's not. The NBA, it takes time. Just like baseball, just... Like hockey, which I don't really watch, but you get my point. Like, it's not going to immediately all be gravy right away. And so I, I just, I can't understand these people who are like freaking out that Giannis is still shooting threes or Giannis is still taking up the ball. Also, it's not a huge deal. Like, Dave doesn't have to touch the ball every, doesn't have to bring the ball every possession. There's no rule in that. Chris can bring up the ball. Chris is a very good passer. Like, Chris can initiate the offense. You can have Pat Conton bring up the ball. You can have campaign if you're running him with Dame Lillard. That would be a very small backcourt, but Malik Beasley. Like, you can have other guys take up the ball. It's not, like, just Dame. And, yeah, should the ISO Giannis and just drive it right to the lane be in the playbook as often? No, initiate the offense and go. But if Giannis sees a fucking lane, let the guy just dunk it. The guy thinks they're playing off him and just wants the heat check of three. That's not the worst thing in the world. I hate this idea that Giannis can't shoot threes. That's so fucking dumb to me. It's like the guy knows how to shoot him. He doesn't shoot him well. But as long as like it's not just, hey, I need a, need a three. It's not a Bledsoe three or even a Drew Holiday three where it's like, oh, I haven't shot a three in a while. Let me shoot one. That's fine. As long as it's in rhythm, as long as he's kind of he's kind of doing well, he's not forcing it. That's that's okay. 
So I think the the lesson here is just relax. Like, I understand you want it to be perfect right out the gates. I know that there's a lot of pressure on this team. I know that the national media is ready to jump down our throats. Yeah, I mean, Bill Simmons, who's, you know, kind of the patriarch of NBA, you know, sort of nerdum, I guess. I don't know. I don't even know if that that's maybe a little disrespectful of Bill, but it's like he is he's such a guy that we all we all look to and we all respect. And he goes, Oh, I'm I'm more afraid of Miami than I am Milwaukee in the East. And it's like so fucking stupid. Like that's I like I, I love the guy. Like I, I would kill for like four hours with him to hang out. But that is just too that's just dumb. He's like, oh Giannis for the Knicks. It's like, no, dude, like that's over. That's not happening. So yes, I understand to bring it back to what we talked about to start, like I understand that there is a lot of pressure right now. But what I'm telling you is like block out the noise. Just watch Bucks basketball. Make your observations. There's gonna be night things that could be better. There's gonna be things that could be worse. But just like understand that it's it's going to be a process and it's not gonna be solved day one. It's gonna slow cook. You gotta let it breathe. And at some point we're gonna have something beautiful. And you're gonna realize it and everybody else is gonna realize it and it's gonna be great. And I can't wait for it. So we'll see. All right, that does it for today's show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow as long as my cold isn't too bad. Thank you for sticking with the nasally. Uh, I'm sure it does not sound great. I'll listen back. Uh, but what can you do? You know, catch a cold. I, I don't know where I caught it. I was like, kind of started feeling it at the end of uh, Saturday night. And I was like, all right, so I either got this from 1840, I got this from Aldi. Like, where did, or I just got it because, like, you know, I've been, I was walking my dog all week. My wife was gone. Did I get it? just because I didn't have the proper attire on, but whatever, man. I I usually get it one, I'm usually good for like the seasonal, like the early seasonal cold. Like if they, you could put a betting line on my cold, like if you had October, October would probably be like a minus 200 for the first cold. November plus like 125. So I guess I, I, I should have known better, but we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Uh, so take care. Have a good one. We shall see you then.